welcome to Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale, and Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We are just two gal pals who simply indulge in their obsession with dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. Oh, and who wouldn't like that? (laughs) Here is your disclaimer. The following crime chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent scenarios. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Okay, so Kat, what is our crime chat fact for today? Now, did you know all airports are federal property? Mm -mm, No. And because of this, any crimes committed in the airports or on the airport grounds or on the airplanes, for that matter, are considered felonies. Okay. So what about like personal private planes? I believe it covers private planes too. Yeah. So if you want to be inducted into the Mile High Club, you actually are being committing a federal (laughs) crime is what you're saying? I don't, I think it's like whatever a felony level is, it it would have to be like a a federal court. Like if it was unwanted or non-consensual mile high club induction, potentially that would be a felony. (laughs) Listen, it's part of my bucket list. Goals. You got to have goals. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. If you you don't have goals in life, it becomes boring. (laughs) Yes. So I am intrigued about your story today. I have a feeling it's going to be really good. I think so too. So let's get into that crime chat. So my story takes place in the 1980s. Do you remember the 80s? I do. Yeah. Go back. Madonna. Yeah. yeah. Miami Vice. (laughs) Yeah. The war on drugs, mm-hmm. you know, right? Mm-hmm. So my story in the 80s features a quote-unquote plane crash. Uh, Pacific Southwest Airlines Flight 1771. Have you heard of it? I have not. Well, this crash happened uh, after a recently fired U.S. Air employee allegedly killed his former supervisor, two pilots, and two others before the plane crashed on December 7th. 1987 in St. Louis Episcopo County. I think I'm saying that right. All my Californians out there, let me know. St. <laughs> Louis Episcopo County in California. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So David Augustus Burke, 35, was a Jamaican-born citizen who immigrated to the U.S. with his parents. He previously worked for U.S. Air in Rochester, New York. We're both New Yorkers, right? Have a New York background, so that's an upstate. U.S. Air is actually the parent company of Pacific Southwest Airlines at this time. Do you remember U.S. Air? Um, you know, n- not really. No, I would. No, I've never flown on it. Okay, so I think it actually merged with either like United or maybe American Air. I think it actually merged companies post nine eleven, like after nine eleven and everything. So, anyways, so. It was the parent. So U.S. Air was the parent company for Pacific Southwest Airlines at the time where David Burke, our guy, he had worked for 15 years. So while in Rochester, Burke was a a suspect in a drug smuggling ring that was bringing cocaine in from Jamaica, where he was born, into Rochester by the airline. So through like using airline methods, he was bringing cocaine in. So while he was never actually officially charged, he reportedly relocated from Rochester to LA Los Angeles in 1986 to avoid any other type of suspicion. So he's like, hey, you know, things are getting kind of heavy out here. 
-hmm. I probably should go ahead and bounce. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So some former girlfriends of his, neighbors, and other law enforcement officials described him as being a violent man previous to the flight 1771 incident. Um, now get this. He had seven children from four different women, but was never married. Ooh, he's a player. He's a busy man. Yeah. Uh, on the day of the crash, December 7th, 1987, Burke left a message on his estranged girlfriend's answering machine that said, Jackie, this is David. I'm on my way to San Francisco, flight 1771. I love you. I really wish I could say more, but I do love you. Oh, that's just creepy. That, uh, okay. That sounds right? so crazy. Yeah, that's getting chills. Okay. I know. <laughs> so you may be like, hey, Kat, who's Jackie? Well, Jackie was a U.S. Air ticket agent, uh, Jacqueline Comancho, in Los Angeles. So as an example of Burke's increasingly violent behavior toward her, he held her and her six-year-old daughter at gunpoint on a forced six-hour car drive the previous week. Oh, my God. So the previous Friday, she also told authorities that Burke tried to strangle her at least twice. He cut the wires in her sedan, and he slashed her clothes with a knife. So this is what she's reporting to police. How and is he still walking around? Well, so her case was actually, at the time of the crash, her case was still pending court. Okay. Right. So she said that Burke seemed particularly bitter at this time towards his boss who fired him from U.S. Airways, Raymond Thompson, 48 years old. He was a U.S. Air customer service manager in L.A. And Thompson commuted regularly by air from his home in Tiburon, to San and, which is, I guess, in the San Francisco Bay, to Los Angeles. So he went back and forth every day for work, which I guess, I mean, if you work for an airline, that's an easy commute, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a couple of hours. Yeah. So the incident was December 7th. Well, on November 19th, just a few weeks prior, Thompson had terminated Burke for petty theft of $69 from in-flight cocktail receipts. He oh. also was suspected of an, of an involvement with a, a narcotics ring also in L.A., so separate from whatever had happened in Rochester, right? Yeah, I, it seems like he was trying to get him for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, whatever was being investigated in Rochester didn't carry over with him, at least mm -hmm. from what the research I was able to do, you know, to find, it didn't necessarily carry over. However, he was obviously in the same type of business, right? Oh, my God. So he called a meeting. Burke called a meeting with his former boss, Thompson, to, in an attempt to get reinstated, to get his job back. It was a not-so-successful meeting. And then immediately following, Burke purchased a ticket on PSA Flight 1771, which was the daily flight from L.A. to San Francisco. He used his U.S. Air employee credentials that had not yet been surrendered, and he was able to bypass metal detectors. Now, keep in mind, this was 1987. Right. We don't. That was, you know, gosh, what, 34 uh -huh. years ago? I mean, our 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our, our security is definitely not what it used to be as far as like as lack as it used to be. So Burke was armed with a Smith & Wesson model 29 44 Magnum revolver he borrowed from a coworker. He was able to bypass the normal passenger security checkpoint at LAX. People knew him. 
because he worked there, right? And then he had his badge. So a not yet surrendered badge. Now he had been fired a couple weeks before, but he had not yet surrendered his ID. Oh my God. He, he was just there for a meeting to try and get his job back. So on December 7th, the flight 1771 departed from LAX at 3.30 in the afternoon, scheduled to arrive in San Francisco at 4.43. Once the plane took off, it went up to its normal cruise altitude, which at this one was at 22,000 feet. Burke wrote a message on the air sickness bag. You know, that's in the back pocket of the, of the airplane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he took that out and he wrote this. Hi, Ray. I think it's sort of ironical that we end up like this. I asked you for some leniency for my family. Remember? Well, I got none and you'll get none. Ooh, okay. First of all, ironical isn't even a word. <laughs> right. The last time I checked, I, I mean, words are not, I'm not very good with words, but I'm pretty sure ironical is, is not. Ironical isn't a ironical. You're right. <laughs> Although I like it. But what a note, right? So he dropped this note. He got up. He dropped this note off on Thompson's lap when he went to go use the bathroom. So when he left the lavatory, he pulled the revolver out, shot Thompson twice, killing him. The cockpit tape recorder recovered at the crash site also discovered the last minute of all the lives on board. The tape had recorded gunshots and then the sound of the pounding on the cockpit door and what the FBI determined to be an unauthorized entry into the flight deck. Now, all of that was recorded on the um, the black box that they found. Oh, my God. And on the recording, captured was, quote, we've got a problem here, unquote. Said a female voice, presumably they think was the flight attendant um, who was telling the pilot about the actual gunshots, right? And then the captain was recording asking, what kind of problem? At this point, it was believed Burke opened the door to the cockpit, shot and killed the flight attendant, and announced, quote, unquote, I'm the problem. Oh, my God. Okay. Creepy. Oh, my gosh. Investigators believe that Burke gained access to the plane uh, through the locked crew door using the access code that was scratched above the lock. Finally, in the recording, you could hear a high whine, and that was presumably created by air rushing out of the pressurized cockpit through a bullet hole or a window or something like that. And then the sound of an acceleration as the the plane kind of pitched downward. Two minutes later from the time of the shots, the plane was crashed and disintegrated, and it slammed into a hill near Paso Robles in San Luis, Apiscopo County. All 43 people on board were killed in this very unfortunate circumstance. Um, to include four executives of the Chevron Corps, one of which was the president for Chevron in the U.S. So I oh think my I, God. I read something separate that also said that Chevron and other large companies like that changed their policies that they, they won't have those high, high executives all on the same plane at the same time. Just because you don't know what's going to happen. Right. And I'm just thinking the minute you said two minutes later, the plane crashed and that must have been the most horrific two minutes of those 43 people. Yeah, oh my absolutely. Um, so Patricia Goldman, head of the National Transportation Safety Board, she was over the onset investigators at the time, said they could find no apparent problems with the aircraft the airframe, the structures, or the engines that would have led to the crash. Basically, the only answer to the crash was foul play, right? Mm -hmm. Other investigators also suggested that both the pilot and the co-pilot were probably shot. Their bodies were slumped against the controls, potentially, that could have, like, led the hand, you know, the 
the handles to the, mm -hmm. I guess the wheel. The, I don't, do you call it a steering wheel on the plane? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but basically the body slumped, slumped over could force it to do an acceleration in a downward manner. Right. So there was nothing wrong technically with the planes. Other Correct. Than it was two dead people flying it. At the Correct. Time. Oh my God. Well, we're not there yet, but get this. Oh. So in the wreckage, investigators found the note of Burke left for Thompson, the one that he put in his lap. And they found the handgun with six spent bullet casings. So a revolver typically has six bullets in it, right? All six were spent. Most notably, which is, this is creepy, a finger later identified as Burke's was still inside the trigger well. Oh my God. God, girl. Okay. Okay. First. All right. So six bullets. He shot six times. He shot six times. So he shot Thompson twice. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into this in a minute, but we shot, oh. we shot Thompson twice. He shot the pilot, the co-pilot and the flight attendant. That's five shots. Okay. All right. And his finger. And his finger was still on the trigger guard. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Okay. But there are some theories that he also shot himself before the plane crashed. Oh, oh, what a coward. Okay. Oh my God, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in me, I've done investigations, but I've investigated suicides and many a times the fingers are stuck in the trigger well. Like they're still stuck in there. So it's possible that that, you know, that that was still the case. But regardless, I mean, if he shot himself or not, I just think it's crazy that his finger was still located in the trail well. Yeah. Right. So and then the six casings found, we just mentioned that six round chamber. It's typical for this type of revolver, but it's possible that he actually shot himself. And you mentioned it, put the nail on the head. You said coward. I think it's chicken shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you shoot yeah. yourself. So you don't have to feel the impact of the crash when you clearly know the rest of the 40 passengers on board are going to be disintegrated. Right. Oh my God. That is just. Crazy. So get this during the investigation, Burke's family defended him amid all the evidence, his finger in the trigger. Well, the note, Jackie, you know, whatever else was left behind. So his brother, Alamont Burke of Atlanta said the note bit that was found We'll get into a little bit because it's disintegrated and the, you know, the plane went kind of into a, a fiery pulse. So not much evidence as far as like gunshot wounds or anything like that. But they found six spent rounds. So obviously he shot somebody. The recording, it recorded gunshots. So despite all of this evidence, his family still defended him. And his brother said, they're trying to solve a case and he's the logical one to hang it on. How do you find a note like that on a plane that's smashed into a million pieces? I don't believe any of that. I mean, he's got a good point. Uh, if we're talking about, you know, the peak bag that's in the plane and you that's what you're writing yeah. the note on. Is it possible that it survived? I mean, anything's possible, right? At this point. Well, his finger is still there. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, his finger wasn't necessarily attached to anything. <laughs> right. They find the strangest things from planes. Um, disasters. I, they, I, well, I mean, if, if you're an aircraft crash investigator, you know what to look for, right? Mm -hmm. At least that's what I think. I mean, I don't know. So in an Associated Press article just a few days after the crash, his brother Altamont said that 
David Burke was the backbone of the family. And he said, quote, to say he was a distraught employee who lost his job and wanted to kill everybody. That's crazy. End quote. I mean, the evidence is just kind of pointing in that direction at this yeah, point. It, but it didn't just start with the plane. I, he kind of lived his life in a certain well, way. Yeah. Well, get this. So while David Burke talked to several of his family members, including future plans on investment opportunities, when people, you know, people who at this point he was committing suicide, essentially, they don't typically have future plans or discuss future plans with other people, right? So he had future plans on an investment opportunity uh, within, and this is all within the last month of the actual crash, but he did not tell anybody in his family that he was fired or he had broken his engagement off with Jackie. Ah, so I don't know. It's it's interesting. He's a stressed man who is just being impulsive and which is kind of his MO from what you told me about his past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if he's a, He's a drug ring ringer, drug ring leader, mm-hmm. <laughs> or ringer, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's obviously a methodical, I think, in his approach to things. I don't know. Interesting. So, regardless, I mean, when I, so when I was searching this story, I found David Burke's obituary on findagrave.com. And whoa, I, I, I got it's some of the things on here. I got to just read it to you, okay? Classification mass murderer. Characteristics, revenge, fired airline employee, number of victims, 43, date of murder, December 7th, 1987, date of birth, May 18th, 1952. I think he was, he was about 35 at the time. Victims profile, all 43 people on board the aircraft. Method of murder, shooting slash cause the plane to crash. Location in, was in the air, USA. Status died in the plane crash. So that's just like a list of things under the description of this individual. Yeah. And then two sentences follow. On December 7th, 1987, David Burke, a fired airline employee, followed his ex-boss on board a Pacific Southwest airline jet with his mind set on revenge. He shot the man mid-flight, caused the plane to crash, killed all 43 people on board, including himself. So that's the two sentences. But look, people left flowers. And I got to yeah. read you a couple of these. Thank you for your service, David. That was one. Oh, my God. The second one was you killed innocent people. Yeah. Fair enough, right? The third one actually doesn't have anything like written on it. They just left a flower. Uh, another one is, is Father Forgive Them for They Know Not What They Do, Luke 23, 34, which is one of, yeah, obviously, one of those mm-hmm. more, more well-known uh, mm-hmm. scriptures from the Bible. Another one says, I will be leaving flowers, but you still killed innocent people. May God have mercy on you. And then the last one is gets me. Murderer, period. Wow. Killed, killed 42 people because he was mad at his boss. Wow. I, You know, even if he went on that plane and didn't think it through and just wanted to shoot this one guy, he caused that plane to crash. So yeah. regardless, that Re- one act of revenge. Yeah led to oh my god it led to a lot of things and actually let me let me let's talk about some of the things here uh let me finish up with the investigation so prior to september 11 2001 this was the biggest mass murder suicide case ever in the united states so of the 43 people aboard 32 only 32 were positively identified from either fingerprints or dental records and the rest was 
from personal effects. But one forensic odontologist recalled only 120 teeth were found. So 43 people, 120 teeth, that would have averaged about to be only four teeth per person. If you can imagine that disintegration. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh my God. So following this incident, terminated airport and airline employees were now required to turn in their credentials immediately. So um, also crew and staff were required to go through the same security protocols as passengers. And those were just two of the big changes that they had. Obviously, so much more changed after 9-11 regarding security procedures and so on. Now, some airports even have security checkpoints now, like for me, because I travel a lot. And then a secondary security checkpoint at the gate. So like you go through your initial like TSA security mm -hmm. screening, you get to your gate and in order to sit down to be able to board, you have to go through another security screening. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's my story. Isn't that um, just insane? Okay. So yeah, it, I, with the security checks, I can understand because the flip side to that is this story. I'd rather exactly. go through two security checks than deal with. And there's so many, I mean, 20 years after 9-11, right? Mm -hmm. Traveling now and traveling internationally, you you get people who are just yeah. not understanding, like, why do I have to do this again? You know, or why, why can't I carry my unopened bottle of water through? Like, it's not even open, you know? And it's right. like, things are set that way for a reason. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my God. This is wow. Just wow. This, this story, I was not familiar with it, but it blew my mind because I had no, I just, it was so easy for somebody to commit such a crime. And yeah. And all, I mean, and all, I mean, yeah, he got fired. Okay. He got fired. So, I mean, for being suspected a narcotics ring uh, in LA, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to find anything that showed that he had any ties like in his firing to a ring back in Rochester, but for stealing $69 worth of, you know, airline flight attendant receipts for alcohol. Right. And now that, so that's a federal crime, right? It is because like we talked about, so it's in the air and it's on a, it's essentially a U.S. company, which also makes it federal proprietary jurisdiction. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's oh sad. My. You know, and it's oh essentially, it's a really sad story. I mean, granted, he, he had seven kids, so those are seven children that didn't, you know, that grew up without their father. Right. Regardless. I mean, it doesn't matter, like, how a parent is in your life. I mean, if you don't have one, you don't have an opportunity to know, Right what that would be like. So, I mean, you think of his children, you think of all the innocent people that were on board. I mean, the four Chevron executives, I mean, mm -hmm. had no idea. They literally, they were going to a PR event in LA is why they were on the plane. So they went to go do some sort of public relations company boosting. It was like a luncheon or something. Mm -hmm. And I read it. I read an article separately that had like one of the other people Something had happened where he had forgotten something and had to go back and get it. So he would have missed his flight. But he actually would have, should have been on the plane with those other people. Oh, my God. And, I mean, if you think about that, you even hear stories about that even with 9-11. Like, I was supposed to fly that day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and X, Y, and Z happened. And, you know, 
I, it, it's almost like survivor's guilt sometimes yeah. when it comes to that. Like, why me? Why am I still here? Which, I mean, just the whole thing is just so, so sad. Well, so sad. yeah, I, I think he, there's something about this guy that really, I don't like him because from the beginning, the way <laughs> it, I, it just, he seems like somebody who's not taking responsibility. And yeah. then with his brother, Altamont, Mm-hmm. saying like oh this is you know a story they're spinning well here's another well i guess the apple doesn't fall, fall off the tree because there's <laughs> another brother who's not accepting responsibility i right? mean the gun he borrowed is literally his finger is in it at the crash uh, i don't know <laughs> and it wasn't his gun so they actually the the guy whose gun it was uh was hesitant at first but did eventually admit that it was his gun that he lent it to david burke wow oh my mm. lord the Pat, this was a story. Was it ever? <laughs> <laughs> this and was a good one. Oh, so, so in the things, gosh, I don't know. I mean, and I, I don't know that I'll ever understand vindictiveness, mm-hmm. if vindictiveness is a word. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, I mean, two wrongs don't make a right, um, whether he was in the wrong for being terminated or not. But at least the guy Thompson, Raymond Thompson gave him a chance and said, okay, I'll have a meeting with you. You know, let's see what you have to say for yourself. Right. Not successful or favored in David's favor, obviously, but to turn around and be like, Hey bro, I need a gun and not even like ask what it's going to be used for. Yeah. Now it's all ironical. (laughs) It's ironical. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I don't think people were, I, I mean, nobody would expect that. I think 9-11 definitely shocked us to a point of accepting that horrible, horrible things can go on and be yeah. there like that. But yeah. Oof, oh, my Lord. Oh, it let me tell still- you really quick. So one of the last flights that I took a couple months ago, it was a 12-hour flight, right? Mm-hmm. On a flight like that, you're probably going to do nothing but eat, sleep, maybe watch a couple movies, right? Unless you can't sleep on a plane. I mean, it depends. And you're drinking. Uh, a, a couple drinks, right? <laughs> yeah. So there was a guy who was, I had, luckily I had a couple of seats to myself and international flights have a tendency, especially now after COVID, like I will say after COVID, post COVID and ceasing travel. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what I do for work as I travel. So I, I don't travel, I don't work. <laughs> <laughs> but being able to, you know, things are opening up a bit with restrictions, but still being able, so they don't fill their flights up, right? And going internationally, you're on a 12 hour flight. There was a guy across the aisle from me. He had a couple seats to himself. He was pretty loud. I just put my headphones on. I was like, you're fine. Like you're, you know, you're whatever. You're not bothering me. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice, but he had a couple drinks. He talked to a guy in front of him. He talked to the lady behind him. He got up and he was talking to all people. I don't think he slept, right? And then he had music on and he was singing out loud. So the last two maybe hours of the flight, I get up and I go to the bathroom and I come back and he starts talking, like talking, 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 talking. And probably for about 10 minutes, very nice guy. Just, I think he just wanted somebody to talk to. Like he didn't have anybody with him and I felt bad. And I, so I was just being nice and just talking to him. I mean, I was like, I really kind of just want to go back to sleep, but that's fine. (laughs) So about 10 minutes, maybe later, one of the flight attendants comes up. 
uh, armed with a couple other flight attendants and is like, sir, can you, can you please be quiet? Like people are starting trying to sleep. So he ended up in going to talk to the head flight attendant at the back of the plane. And I had gotten up and went to the back of my, I think I went to go brush my teeth. You know, I, I was like, I'm awake now. I might as well brush my teeth and feel clean. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy is like, was he disturbing you? And I'm like, well, no, not really. I mean, I, I just think he was trying to talk to somebody and I was just talking to him. He's like, well, he's been kind of disruptive and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, he was kind of loud, but I just put my headphones on. Like, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, it, but in our conversation, he said he was approached and said, was I being loud? Do you think I was being loud? People were saying I was being loud and I was being rude. And I was like, I, I was, and I told him, I was like, yeah, you're kind of loud, but I just put my headphones on. Like I didn't bother mm -hmm you you didn't bother me i didn't bother you kind of thing so when the head flight attendant was asking me that and he's like oh so he was bothering you and i was like well i mean i put my headphones on i mean it wasn't that big of a deal right he was a really nice guy and i felt kind of bad maybe maybe he had some liquid courage you know in that time frame but it it was just like really uh, you know what i mean it, yeah well some people just don't have that buffer that internal that's like, true little person thing hey shut up and then he was like, oh, because I think he, gosh, I want to say he was in, he was from India. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was like, oh, Americans are so touchy. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, you must be stereotyping somebody else. Because seriously, I'm I will kick your butt right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, all, all is well. And, you know, nothing really happened other than he got like a, a talking to by the head flight attendant. But have you ever witnessed anything that was like um, when you're on a plane, you're just like, oh, my God. You know, people get their phones out nowadays and they record that I know. shit. Yeah. Like I've seen some crazy stuff on a plane, not a 12 hour flight. <laughs> I mean, I've seen crazy stuff coming to Florida or leaving Florida. Uh -huh. But well, um, that might just be Florida. Yes, Florida, but like, <laughs> but that's a quick flight. Like I've never, normally the flight attendants are really good at kind of rounding it up and you know, they're really good at confusing yeah. situations. Oh, and I read an article today. We talked about this at work today. No kidding. It was about wearing a mask. Right. And of course on a plane and it's mandated, you have to wear a mask. I mean, yeah, a 12 hour flight wearing a mask when you're trying to sleep or whatever, it sucks. Right. But you just do it. So, I mean, think about it. It's recycled air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know where it was going to or from or whatever, but the guy ended up beating the flight attendant. He broke her nose about being told to wear a flipping mask and they ended up <laughs> taping him to a wheelchair because <laughs> they did an, they did an emergency landing and they duct taped him to a wheelchair to get him off of the plane please tell me that's on video somewhere uh i don't know that it's on video but it's definitely in the news so okay. maybe uh, google like you know man you know breaks flight attendant's nose or something like that i think it was on american airlines oh my gosh that was just i so like we were talking about you know, traveling and stuff at work today. And my coworker was like, Oh my gosh, did you see that? And I, and I was like, no. So what do I do? I look it up. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I go, and then we're reading a couple of us are reading the article and I'm just like, that is just, it, it's insane. Like, I just don't understand. Like how did we reach a certain time 
in our lives where the Mile High Club is not like the precipice of being in the air and doing something wrong. Like, no, there are other <laughs> things that we do that that totally Mile High Club is for like, you know, candies uh, at this point. And, you know, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, to cause the plane to have an emergency landing, which is their protocol now, like if you don't follow these federal rules or federal guidelines mm -hmm. for flying, and they, the CDC just came out with a couple of things, a couple of new statutes within like the last couple of weeks. It's like, I mean, it's not, it's not hard to follow rules. I don't know. And maybe no, that's just the law enforcement background in me. Like just, it's what it, it is, what it is. Like, is this going to yeah. hurt you? I don't know. No. And maybe that's just me, my personal opinion. Don't hate me guys. Okay. No, I have, everybody has their own opinion. <laughs> yeah. But I think everybody can agree when you go onto a plane, especially we're talking about a 12 hour flight. So if you're going on a plane for three hours, you're, you're just chemically, you're a little heightened. Your, your anxiety mm -hmm. is picking up. So and that, things, and that, that poor flight attendant, mm. he broke her nose for her literally just enforcing something that was not her decision. Yeah. But she, it's her job to enforce it in, you know, in one way, shape or form. Wow. So that's jail time for him, right? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure I didn't look and see what the charges were, but it's in the air. It's, it's yeah. a felony. So felony assault probably. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the more we know, the more we know. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. And also please, we don't want to leave you hanging. For any for more information on these cases, please check out after that crime chat. And also subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, and Which also happens check all out the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. <laughs> and and also check out some merch that's in the works at this moment. Oh, that's so exciting. I know. And uh, you know, don't forget to follow us on Crime Chat with Nat and Pat on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and now Twitter for what is coming up and ep some episodes that are going to be dropping soon. And we can feed all your social media needs. <laughs> yes. Remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Pat. You don't yes. want to forget it. So next week, mm -hmm. we have got our Turk cut out for us. <laughs> you Keep are going to gobble up. this up. Keep it coming. We may be sauced. <laughs> Should I go on? <laughs> yes, I'm loving it. Loving it. Obviously, we have a Thanksgiving theme next mm -hmm. week. So, yes, and that's going to be a lot of fun. But also, stay tuned for upcoming episodes and segments on crimes and cosmetics and spirits or spirits. Oh, you don't want to miss this, guys. We'll see you next time on the Crime Chat. Later. Later. Later.